Ron Reed and Greg Rosenbaum are the co-founders and executive producers of South by Southwest EDU, one of the several tracks of the ultra cool month-long festival that takes place each year in Austin, Texas, under the moniker of South by Southwest. Uh, traditionally, it is a four-day event offering compelling sessions, in-depth workshops, engaging learning experiences, mentorship, film screenings, future-focused competitions, an exposition floor, networking opportunities, and so much more. Uh, obviously, this year, because of the pandemic, it will be happening virtually, uh, but wanted to get in front of Greg and Ron and talk about their journey uh, from what was a canceled event from last year to a, a, a pretty impressive-looking lineup online, virtually, for this year, and talk a little bit about what is in store for South by Southwest EDU after all the madness stops. Uh, and with it, here's Ron and Greg. So uh, gentlemen, thank you so much for taking time to, to meet with me today. Oh, it's really, really great to see you, Ken. And, and uh, congratulations on the podcast. We're, we're excited with you. But uh, yeah, and, and Greg and I started EDU now, gosh, 11 years ago. 11 um, years ago, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so uh, so we we've, we've had more fun than the law usually allows. Um, but uh, but no, we're really excited for this year's event. As you say, um, a year ago uh, we were very excited for last year's event. Um, it was our tenth anniversary, um, probably the biggest South by EDU from a program sponsorship registration engagement we'd ever had. Uh, we were really, really excited and looking forward to celebrating the birthday with the community uh, and thanking them for it. Um, obviously, things turned out a little differently than we planned. And, uh, you know, from in, in hindsight, looking back uh, a year later uh, now, uh, I, I think it was a, a really smart decision. But in the moment when the city canceled South by not only EDU, but the music and film and the tech conference as well. It, it was a real gut punch. I mean, sort of like working all year uh, for, you know, for, for I, I would liken it almost to shopping for Christmas. You know, we had all these gifts and presents we were excited to share. And then, uh, then all of a sudden the tree is gone and it's not happening. So, so it's been, it's been an interesting year, but uh, it's permitted us to, I think, attack it all the more uh, energetically and enthusiastically this year. So we're looking forward to an online event this uh, March 9th through 11th. Uh, Greg and the team have done a great job of, of, of sort of transitioning to a, a digital experience from what we all know has been a, a really fun in real life experience. Uh, so, uh, so yeah, we're excited, looking forward to March. Yeah, and so Greg, tell us a little bit about uh, the lineup that you have and maybe some of the decision-making that went into folks who would be um, you know, on, the, on the agenda that maybe wouldn't have been on the agenda during a normal year or, or vice versa. I mean, talk about some of the pivots of, of those decision-making uh, items. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's been a journey the last 12 months to say the least. I think coming out of last year's unfortunate cancellation, we tried to stand up a variation of that event virtually week over week by doing short content every week to try and engage the community over a period of time. And then over the summer, spent a lot of time as an organization reflecting on what is the best way to deliver meaningful connection in this moment to people. And we decided that it was to stand up our event in March um, as a fully virtual event. Um, and, and I think we've been reflecting a lot about, you know, what, what is missed when you're not in person, which we think 
those serendipitous connections running into you, Kevin, over coffee at the Hilton or the Austin Convention Center um, is really hard to do in a virtual setting. But there's also a lot more intention when you go to a virtual session. You're building a schedule, you're connecting with people one-on-one, -on -one, you're, you're building out that map of, of what your day looks like. Um, and so we've tried to lean into that and create a program that is not overwhelming. It's, it's much more focused. We have about a fifth of the programming we typically do on site. Usually for year 10, we had over 500 sessions, I think we had planned, 1,200 speakers. And this year, we wanna make it more digestible, Short, shorter form content, hands-on workshops, but all shorter, easier to get into. Um, and then I think, too, to your point, we've been able to engage speakers that, that I don't know that we would have been able to engage without the, the need to travel to Austin. And so um, I'm excited to share that our opening keynote this year is Oprah Winfrey in conversation with Dr. Bruce Perry. Um, and, and we also have a conversation with Chris Evans, who is Captain America has got this initiative about civic education and building uh, a, a nonpartisan approach to that. Um, so we're really finding ways to access new voices who are passionate about education and learning, but we haven't been able to, to bring them to the event in the community before. Yeah, that's, that's, that's very exciting. And I've noticed that even on the, on the education side as well, that the use of this technology, you know, if it's, it's Zoom or Google Meets or whatever, I mean, you can, well, look, I landed you two big fish right here to talk to me. And maybe during the uh, week before South by Southwest EDU, I would not be getting you <laughs> in person to, to talk to. But because of this technology, we're able to do it, right? So, I mean, there's, there's, there's some certain pros to all of this. Yeah, the, the, the rhythm of it for us uh, producing the event is certainly a, a lot different. Uh, and to Greg's point, it's, it's created a lot of uh, nice opportunities for us as well. You know, again, super excited with uh, Ms. Winfrey uh, being on the program. We've really been chasing her for more than a decade, uh, Kevin. Uh, we know she's passionate about a number of things in education, and we've been intrigued with her school in Africa and a number of her other initiatives. And I, I, the, the topic that, uh, that surfaced of interest to her and to us, and I think to the community at large, is really trauma uh, this year, which unfortunately resonates pretty deeply given the kind of traumatic year we've all had uh, across a myriad of things. So certainly in the classroom and on campus with uh, our online learning and all of that pivot, uh, all the inequities that pivot is sort of demonstrated. And of course, the national conversation about race is, uh, is ongoing, the economic disruption of the pandemic. And so it, it feels like there are a lot of really rich topical conversations and education is a little bit of a, of a mirror that's reflecting a lot of these, these challenges back. So uh, I think the, the program is rich uh, as a result of the experience of our shared experience. And uh, again, with a crowdsourced program, really loving the, the community's contributions to really lighting up prominent and important conversations, I think. Yeah. Have either of you seen a difference in um user behavior or attendee behavior um, when it comes to using online? I mean, it, has there been a buildup in, in the community in terms of anticipation for the, for the speakers? And I know in years past, there's always been an intention to continue the community online through threaded conversations and things like that. And um, not speaking for South by Southwest, but in other initiatives that I've been in, those have always had a varying degree of success, where especially maybe after an in-person event, 
things drop off pretty hard, pretty quick before there's a buildup in anticipation to the next year. Can, can you talk a little bit about the online dynamics that South by has experienced since last March in the buildup to this? And do you anticipate um, those behaviors to stay the same or to change back to whatever we go back to whatever normal is? No, they're, they're, those are all really good questions, and I, I hope we have really good answers coming out of this, this March's experience uh, standing it up online. I think, you know, we've reflected a, a little bit uh, and, and certainly have kind of experienced as an organization, right, like the challenge of revisioning um, how, how to support a community that, uh, that we've been, you know, been, been endeavoring to do for the last decade on um, and, and so I think we make certain suppositions. Like I, I think to Greg's point, we have a more concentrated program. We've gone from maybe 18 content tracks to eight, I think. We've gone from a dozen different session formats to you know half a dozen. And, and I think it's out of respect for a community that not only is juggling work and passionate about their professional roles, but in which, you know, life is, is imposed as well in a way that's, that's different than that. So, so I think we're, we make certain assumptions as in, again, a more concentrated uh, uh, kind of find your own experience approach to the event this year is, is one aspect of it. So I, I think with that, there are a couple of observations. One, we've seen great international engagement to connect virtually, because if you're, you know, if you're free from the uh, from the the burdens uh, and the costs of travel and time associated with getting here, that you can again, as we observe with this podcast, jump online together. That's that's pretty uh, that's pretty powerful. Um, we also, I think, anticipate that unlike uh, in real life, your travel plans, your hotel requires you to plan much more in advance. So we see maybe a little more immediacy in the community's decision uh, to, I think, participate or engage. And again, I think a lot of these are suppositions we might we might confirm or, or, or correct, you know, based upon the experience we have uh, with the EDU community online this year. So those those are at least a couple quick reactions that, that come to my mind. Yeah, and I, and I just add, I think, you know, one of the things that'll be interesting is when you're on site, everything happens live and the majority of it doesn't happen again, but we have a lot of content that will happen live and then we'll live on in this on-demand universe of, of, of content for people to, to, to go back to and revisit. And that means that, you know, as you mentioned, we've had an online networking platform to connect to the in-person event in years past. When it's all online, both the content and the networking can live on post-event. So I think there's potentially a longer tail to the online engagement than, than to Ron's point than we know yet, but it, we're expecting to see a little more engagement beyond just those three days uh, in March. And then, and again, I go back to it. I have a, a much higher tolerance, well, not only for, for Zoom, for Zoom meetings, but also consuming content online, right? That maybe would be archived where five years ago, I say, well, that, that's kind of, you know, that's the old, that's yesterday's news. Uh, but now I, I kind of pull more of a, a more importance out of it and, and, and realize that there's still value in there, even though it's, it's, it's archived, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think one of the things that we are proud to do and excited to unveil is um, not only are we coming to the community through the, the computer and through a mobile phone, but we're also going to do a connected TV app. So 
uh, appreciating that we spend so much time in front of our computers, stepping away from that, sitting back on the couch and enjoying some of the content in a different format, um, you know, hopefully helps alleviate some of the Zoom fatigue that I know we all experience from time to time. Right. Um, let's look at the, the other side of the coin here a little bit in terms of uh, business models of events uh, in general. So we'll talk about your partners and your, your sponsors, and you've always had, you've always had great uh, support on that side. It seems that you have some great support uh, this year going forward. Is there a difference in expectation from the sponsor side? And I'll, I mean, I'll, I'll look back at some of the events that I used to do as well. There was definitely an expectation of, say, lead generation or go, going beyond just a brand recognition, but making those connections. And as we said, that it's, you know, a lot of the business, and especially with, uh, with EDU, there were, I was in a lot of really interesting meetings <laughs> that would come out of in-person, uh, you know, mixtures in the hallway. Have you noticed a difference there or a difference in expectation on, on, on the sponsor side of the coin? Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll answer uh, briefly anyway. I, I think that um, sponsors are, are really exploring this space along with us and I, I think are, you know, approaching it with fresh expectations. To your point, uh, you know, traditional trade shows often measured by lead gen and, and I, there's certainly an element of that. And again, I think we can facilitate greater connections and access and dialogue in some ways virtually than, than maybe the you know, the concrete trade show floor really permitted us uh, to do. Um, and, and yet on the same token, I, I think South by EDU has always been a bit more of a thought leadership event than, and, and, and a focus on quality over quantity. And, and so it was less about 100 leads than the three conversations you had that were really, you know, moving your business forward. So I feel, you know, and I, and I have great respect and, and we're standing up a, uh, a virtual exhibit hall, a, a convention uh, area, and have had, again, a lot of great response from our both longtime sponsors and, and new sponsors uh, associated with the event. But I think we're all approaching it with, you know, probably eyes wide open, looking at, you know, we, we've, we've been fans in the past of saying, let's trial things and those things that work, let's really get behind and throw a lot of gas on a fire and, and whatnot. And I think, our supporting partners and organizations come to this event with some of that same same hunger to just learn what is the best uh, best engagement for a unique community at a unique moment in time on it. And so, again, we've had a lot of support from our partners over the year, and feel like that that endures and and is even richer this year than in the past, as we're all trying to figure out and learn new models of it. Yeah. Yeah, and, I, and I'd add too, I mean, I think, you know, one of the challenges to being uh, in a trade show is you're, you're kind of, you're, you're, you have to respond to the foot traffic that comes by, but you can also get lost in five exhibit halls or however big the show is. And in an online setting, I think people will find you with a little more discovery, but intention, and you have an ability to maybe portray all the different facets of your work, be able to demo more easily, be able to connect one-on-one -on -one with clients and, and kind of build those more meaningful relationships without having to, to stand at that booth table and just wait for, you know, the, the traffic to come through when the coffee break happens or whenever the, you know, the flow is really going. So, um, you know, I, the jury's out, but I think we're hopeful that that will create sort of new and meaningful ways for, for folks to connect. Yeah. Now, uh, Ron, you mentioned the, the 10th anniversary last year, and believe it or not, I did some due diligence. I did a little reporting before the, before the podcast here and uh, noticed that you had an essay 
that was put up on the 74, I think about this time next year, about some of the, um, the, the, uh, the trends that you uh, both have identified through the years. Uh, I found it really interesting because a number of those items ha have been what I've identified this year as accelerating. Uh, number one being the idea of social emotional learning and the importance of social emotional learning. Maybe two years ago, I might have been a little cynical thinking that was just one of those phrases uh, in the education space that was theoretical and not real. It became real <laughs> very quickly uh, with, within days, right? Uh, the second was the idea of student voice um, and having more of a student voice than there was 10 years ago when South by Southwest EDU began. Another one was the idea of personalized learning, something else that uh, this year has just kind of accelerated. If you can think back to when you were, I mean, the piece is almost prescient in terms of the number of things that, that, you, were, that you were looking at. Can you expound, if you, if you can recall that piece, uh, and look at some of those, um, those topics and think about how you've seen them accelerate or, or not accelerate in this past year? Yeah, really, really like and appreciate the question. And, and I think we spent a lot of time reflecting on kind of the e evolution of the community's interest year over year. And certainly against the backdrop of this year, I, I think it has been really striking for, for all of us. And, and, and I'll throw out maybe a couple quick, quick examples that come to mind and, 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 and invite Greg to compliment with some, some of his observations as well. You know, starting maybe where you did, uh, social and emotional learning, I, I think, has, has has really evolved and grown in relevance. I mean, trauma is, is sort of a, a, a conversation in the same. I think a few years ago, that conversation was principally focused on learners uh, and, and, and young learners, frankly. I think that in the last couple of years, it's grown to appreciate it's not unique to young learners. It's true of all learners, and it's not even restricted to learners. It, it's a conversation that's pretty dynamic for teachers and administrators as well. And so I, I think that, again, social and emotional health is, you know, when, in the, in the, in the after, in the, in the reaction to the pandemic, you realize what a social safety net schools provide. And when that is challenged, it sort of revisits kind of their important role, not only for social and emotional health, but food and food access, mental health and, and safety. There was an article in the Boston paper today about you know, reports of child uh, abuse in many ways skyrocketing and other ways being underreported. And so I, I think that it's, uh, again, to a point made earlier, kind of a traumatic time in that respect. So I think clearly a, a trend that evolves and I, I think has grown in breadth and depth and, and, and substance in many ways since the uh, preliminary conversations or early conversations we had about it. To, to maybe rock on a, a little more optimistic uh, sort of approach. Uh, I think uh, we think a lot about, okay, let me start with a, a dark space again, but get to a, a brighter place in a hurry. 
you know, the economic uh, devastation surrounding this. Well, we, we see education deeply aligned, uh, reskilling and upskilling and, uh, and, the, and, and, and work reimagined in the go forward. And so I think, again, these are, these are topics that have had roots for some time with the community and at South Bay EDU, but I think they've grown in relevance and vibrancy. And, and much like you observed, Kevin, it was sort of an interesting topic that was maybe you know, maybe distant to our day-to-day -day when all of a sudden we're realizing now this is pretty much everybody's day-to-day -day in various forms and fashions sort of dealing with this. I think I could talk about race and, and equity, which has always been a, a strong topic at EDU. That's taking on, again, I, I, should, I should hush because I'll just carry on <laughs> with it, but, but I think even, even greater urgency and relevance as so many of the conversations at EDU. Yeah. Yeah, and I'll pick up on that thread because that's something that we've, you know, to Ron's point, spent a lot of time focusing on at the event. And I think when you take education into the community, you take learning into people's homes, you, you, you empower or have parents playing, you know, more of a role in that education providing and students having to take ownership in ways they hadn't before. It is, is more important than ever that, that the education is responsive, that culturally responsive learning is an important piece of that, that we're reflecting a lot of the current issues and events that are happening, that we're talking about civic education and digital literacy and, 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 and just making sense of the world and understanding that and how education can fuel that and also, um, you know, you know has, that, that's a powerful thing to do when it can fulfill that mission. Um, you know, I think the other thing too is, is we've seen the, the ed tech ecosystem really change in the decade that, that we were reflecting on it. And, I think in our early years, we spent a lot of time talking about hardware. We had, you know, Chromebooks and, and all sorts of things launching at the event. Um, talked about LMSs, and but I think we've really seen the conversation evolve, even in the last couple of years before the pandemic. But the ed tech that helps um, empower the human parts of learning that that creates a, a capacity for the educator-student dynamic or for students to feel empowered in their learning has really taken off and that the tools that, that enable that are really the ones that are succeeding um, and, and I think we're seeing now that the importance of those tools is really prevalent that yes to your point personalized learning is happening we're seeing the the pandemic work better for some and, and worse for others but that at the, you know the core the human component that is missing from from being distant from one another is really essential to, to, to education and um, you know I think it's, it's just an important piece that, that we're missing right now. Yeah you know in a lot of the conversations I've had with school district uh, tech directors and superintendents um, most of them uh, being on the innovative side most likely attending South by Southwest EDU in the past almost have a little bit of a, it's a guilt associated with the fact that uh, they keep saying, you know, these are the things that we've advocated for for years, and we've always met resistance from school boards or parents or from from, you know, from from teachers, and now there was no there was no choice. All these things needed to be adopted, and now a lot of people in our community understand the importance of these things, and that going forward they're going to stick. I mean, a lot of districts all of a sudden have virtual uh, virtual academies where they're going to continue to just have fully remote. Uh, setups going forward for students who want to have that sort of situation. Uh, likewise, the hybrid and the flexibilities that, that's going forward. So there, there do seem to be a number of positives that are, that are coming out of the madness, right? Yeah, very much so. You know, it's interesting, Kevin, um, a little more than a decade ago, I, I think one of the things that we thought about in launching South by EDU is 
how do we hold up education as a sector and, and have it recognized socially the way that we love our, you know, our, our music stars and our filmmakers and our new media inventors and entrepreneurs and so forth. Well, you know, the, the pandemic has, has given a tremendous escalator to holding up education as a sector and highlighting its relevance in many ways. And to your point, these are conversations I think we've been having for a decade and longer on it. One of the shifts that I, I think we're experiencing is this this sort of imperative for action like there's been a lot of a, a lot of transition from inspiration to impact on this so there there is a greater hunger i think today at how do i apply this best practice in a way that really moves the needle in, in the ways that i desire and so i think that um again along with the sort of increased recognition of education is a greater the desire on the part of educators to contribute to the impact to, to making things better and supporting it along. So that's a, an energy that we always enjoy getting from the EDU community that feels, you know, as rich and strong as ever, even given all the challenges we're talking about. I was just going to say going forward, you know, I think one of the things that, that will really be um, an area that needs to be addressed and we're sort of seeing this in the workforce um, reskilling and training space, but how do we deal with the learning loss that has happened over the last year and what role can EdTech play in facilitating that and supporting that alongside the education community coming back online and in person? Yeah. Well, gentlemen, I knew the hardest part of this entire conversation would be to end it. <laughs> There's so <laughs> many, there are so many other things that we could talk about and, and, and go on with, but uh, I, I do appreciate your time. I know you're busy leading up. I very much look forward to next week and uh, attending and reporting virtually. I'm hoping to get a number of your, uh, your, your panelists and your session speakers on future episodes of EdTech Today. And uh, do look forward to meet, seeing you again in person next March. Uh, I'm, good, I'm, I'm putting the bet down that it will be back in person uh, in Austin. Well, we are, we're, we're surely uh, hopeful and optimistic as well. Um, but uh, encourage everybody to, to stay healthy and be attentive and do all the things we've known over this last year have made it, uh, made it helpful for us all. And uh, together, maybe we can get there. Absolutely. Awesome. Guys, thanks again. Thanks for having us. And thanks, everybody, for watching. We'll see you in the next one.